Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interviewed Juliana Haver, a.k.a. the plant-based dietitian in Los Angeles. Juliana has been in private practice in L.A. since 2005, specialising in weight management, disease prevention and management, and sports nutrition. She's the host of the wellness talk show series, What Would Juliana Do?, on Z Living Network, and nutrition columnist for Veg News magazine. As well as being published in prominent journals, she features regularly in the media with appearances including The Dr Oz Show and E! News. Juliana is the author of The Vegetarian Diet. Isn't that another cool title of a vegan book? I love it. (laughs) And The Complete Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. She co-authored The Complete Idiot's Guide to Gluten-Free Vegan Cooking and is a recipe contributor to both New York Times best-selling Forks Over Knives books. She received her bachelor's degree from UCLA and Master's of Science in Nutrition at California State University, Northbridge, where she also completed her dietetic internship. She's taught as part of Dr. T. Colin Campbell's E. Cornell Plant-Based Nutrition Certification Program, worked as a clinical dietitian at Century City Doctors Hospital, and has consulted for numerous businesses. In this interview, she discusses the importance of working with the right clients, not just anyone, why she stopped being afraid to use the word vegan, How having a book helps clients and opportunities to come to you instead of you chasing them. How loving what you do is essential for coping with rejection and criticism. How keeping your integrity and not selling out leads to the right opportunities and sustains your business in the long term and much more. Here's the interview with Juliana Haver, the plant-based dietitian. Hello, Juliana. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Hi, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So the first question I ask everyone, Juliana, is why they do what they do, because as vegan business owners, you know, we're all kind of working in this mission-driven area. So tell me, what's your reason for doing what you do? That's a good question. I I really, I do it because I have no choice. It is a mission-driven, passion-driven career choice, and I just love everything to do with plants and helping people, and it's been such an extraordinary journey for me. So I just, I wake up excited every day to see what else I could learn and see who else I can connect with that's in a similar mind frame. Fantastic. What got you into nutrition? Because I guess there's lots of ways we can help people and help the planet and, and animals. So I'm curious, what got you into nutrition? Well, it was a very long roundabout journey, and I'll try to make it as short as possible. It it really started from, well, two avenues. The vegetarian part started from one avenue, and then the nutrition itself. I've always just been fascinated by food and, and nutrition, and I used to play games with my sister when we would eat cereal in the morning, and she would have me guess which nutrients and how much nutrients were in our cereal, and I was always right just because I had this inherent, just, I don't know, intuition about food. <laughs> but I then, I, I grew up in Los Angeles. I've always been in Los Angeles, and like many of us here, I was a dancer and I was an actress 
for many, many years. And I was, you know, always on some kind of diet and weight loss program because just that's how it is in Hollywood. And that led me to become a personal trainer because I've also always loved fitness. And while I was personal training, the first first week of me being a personal trainer, everyone started asking me about what to eat. And I realized, oh, this might be the perfect opportunity to go back and find out exactly what everyone should eat and how I can guide people in the most scientific and health-promoting way. So that led me back to grad school, and the rest is history. Wonderful. I love that you shared that journey. It's always interesting to hear people how they come into doing what they're doing. So that's that's fantastic. So when you were first starting out, Juliana, when you were first starting up the plant-based uh, dietitian business, what were some of your key challenges? Oh, um, you mean from a business perspective or from yeah. a... Yeah, well, I guess not knowing exactly what I wanted to do or where I wanted to situate myself, I really hadn't figured out what I was going to do. Initially, I wanted to work in a hospital setting because I loved, I just love medicine and I love the medical environment. But then I found that I didn't fit properly in there because, you know, I, my recommend, you know, I would go in to see a patient and they would ask me, you know, tell them, complain about their roast beef sandwich being rare and just basically thinking I was the lunch lady. So I ultimately didn't, I realized I wanted to be in business for myself and I had already been in business for myself for about 10 years prior to becoming a dietitian as I was, you know, as a personal trainer. So I basically kind of had to figure out the territory of, of being in my own practice and I didn't know any, plant-based dietitians, especially in my area. So I've evolved my business to be primarily online. And most of my clients I see are not local, but instead around the globe via Skype and FaceTime and phone. But it took me a long time and I'm still navigating it. I'm still adding services and changing services. And there's just been quite a bit of challenges because I didn't have a role model of the business that I wanted to adapt and I didn't know exactly how it was going to work. So it's, it's been a very interesting process. That's interesting. So obviously you're a pioneer in in what you're doing. As you say, if there, there weren't other people that you could look to, it's always, I think, a bit tricky for the pioneer because you've got to kind of set the roadmap, if you like. And I'm sure there are now people obviously looking up to you and <laughs> to help them navigate their business. Um, so has, how have the challenges changed? So over the years, you've, you've grown as a business, you've become very well known, you've got a really high profile, massive social media following. How have those challenges changed over the years? Ah, that's such a good question. I don't know. I think every day it changes because I don't know. I literally wake up and don't know exactly what I'm going to do every day. (laughs) I I, I like the challenge of keeping it different and varied and interesting. and, And I'm really trying to balance all of that. Like you said, I love social media. I love writing. You know, I've written about two, I have three books and I'm, and I love, like, I love all the, there's so many different elements. I love the one-on-one client interaction, but basically the biggest challenge for me is navigating how much energy I spend on each of those different parts because they're such different worlds. They're completely different you know, wheelhouses. And so I think that's the biggest challenge for me is just figuring out where to prioritize my energy and my time. And also I'm a full-time mother. So it's, it's, a, it's quite an interesting way of living, but I enjoy it because I like that it's different every day, but I just, I don't, I really don't have a formula for it. <laughs> That's good. Like a lot of people I've interviewed that are like yourself, where it's kind of pretty much you and you are your brand. It is that kind of 
figuring out, you know, where to place your energy and, and to juggle everything, for sure. But I guess it's a high-quality problem to have. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> so, Juliana, just out of curiosity, what percentage approximately of your clientele are vegan and they seek you out because you're vegan compared with non-vegans who hire you, uh, you know, because of your nutrition expertise? Well, I had to kind of tailor that. So like I said, I'm navigating all these different types of my different parts of my business and I don't allocate a large majority of my time to seeing clients just because I really want to do all the other stuff too. So I've now gotten to a place in the last couple of years where I really do pick my clients and, and I'm very careful of who I know I can help. Like I don't want to work with someone that I don't think will be uh, that I will be able to help because I realize that if someone does not want to reach the goals that I would want, you know, like if, I, if someone wants to come to me and they have different idea of what they're looking for, then I don't want to try to fit into their idea. I'd rather send them to someone that could help them in the way that they're looking for. So that's kind of a confusing way to say that I'm basically now only working with people that are open-minded to going on a plant-based journey. And if, you know, if people will come to me a lot and say, I don't want to be vegan, is that okay? And I used to say, oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But now I really feel people out like they, I, I, you don't have to want to be vegan to work with me, but you have, I'm not going to tell someone, you know, which meat is less bad for them. I just, I refuse to do that. And so that kind of limits who I see just that in and of itself. So I get a wide variety of people. A lot of people do come to me specifically for wanting to go plant-based and vegan. But I also have people that come to me with health issues a lot of time. And I also work with people that are athletes and elite athletes that really just want to, you know, go plant-based or they just really want to make sure that they're doing it the right way. So I have a really interesting variety of clientele. And I love that I get to choose who I see and how I work with them because I really just want to be, you know, I, I want to help them. I don't want to force my beliefs on anyone. I stopped trying to convince anyone of anything many years ago because I realized I was just banging my head against the wall. For sure. So I'm just curious because for people kind of, I guess, starting out in this area, would you recommend that in the beginning, like as they're getting well known, to kind of take whoever comes to them or do you think they should do what you're doing right now, right from the start and be very picky about who they're going to choose? I cannot answer that for someone else. It's a good question. And I think when people, a lot of people come to me that are starting in this business or changing to plant-based or, and they ask me, you know, ask me my advice and I always say that it's completely up to you. I think everyone's going to travel this road their own way and they're going to find what works for them. And I can't answer for someone to know what what would help them on their path? Because I have learned a lot from the very difficult, you know, the clients that were just not interested. And I'm all the different types of clients I've seen and all the different uh, work that I've done and all the different arenas and so many different avenues and so many different perspectives has taught me so much and has enabled me to know, you know, who I can help and who I can help and know who I want to work with and who I think would be um, best served by my services. Right, right. So your business and your brand, it's its pretty much just you. And obviously, there's only one of you and one person can only do so much in terms of time. Um, so what? how do you leverage your skills to reach a broader base of people? It's interesting you say that you, uh, you're you not just doing, uh, you know, clients and even one on one. And when you are doing them, it's via Skype. So how do you actually leverage your skills to reach a broader base of people and the various things that you do? I don't know. I, I mean, I, my One of my favorite things that I do is when I do TV and I had, you know, my background, my undergraduate degree is in acting. So it was really kind of an incredible 
convergence of all of my passions when I was able to do my own TV show on Z Living. I have a talk show called What Would Juliana Do? And that was an incredible way to, I mean, that's the best way to reach the most amount of people in the the, the shortest amount of time. And the mo- it's the most efficient use of, of uh, media to to teach your message and say what you want to say and and uh, put together the information you want to put together and share that information. So obviously TV, but that's you know that's that's just one avenue. Uh, I think just I think being in different channels in different ways, you know, social media is an incredible incredible addition to reaching your target audience. And this wasn't around when I was first starting. This has been incredible change of as you know well. I mean, we all have seen how powerful social media can be as a way to get your message out and to find your audience and to find your clients. And so I think I just, it's just, I'm still playing with all that. I'm still figuring it out every day. It's different on, on how to reach the people and how to leverage this information and my skill sets to, you know, various types of people. It's a, it's a really fascinating world now, especially in this, in this space. For sure. And it's it's great that you can reach not just one on one because that can be kind of limited, but also reaching one to many. So um, that's great that you've raised that. In terms of expert help, then, do you have anyone that you've used over the years like to grow your business, whether hiring staff or contractors or, you know, hiring professionals for business coaching, marketing, PR? No, not really. I've I should. <laughs> um, I've you know, I've consulted w- with people specifically for like when I developed my website, which I need to do again. If that's constantly evolving as well. Uh, really, I have not. I've been pretty self-contained, and I feel like there's so many. I mean, I have people that can maybe change something on my website, and it's more like technical stuff, where my skills just aren't there, and. You know, there's just only, like you said, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so much one person can do. So I do, I'm very kind of controlling and like to like, you know, make all my choices. Like I could never outsource my social media because I I like to know exactly every word and control everything that is part of my brand and my messaging. But I know that there are so many wonderful, talented people out there. I just, I'm really not good at that. <laughs> it's something I would love to explore further and know, you know, and, and, to, and to get some help and to expand the potential market of, of who I'm trying to reach. Yeah, got it, got it. Now, in terms of competition, you know, obviously um, there's a lot more people interested in, you know, and working as plant-based, um, you know, dietitians or nutritionists. So how do you go about standing out both within the vegan business arena and outside of it um, to maintain a steady flow of work? Uh, I don't view it as competition because we need so much of this. And I want the world to be vegan. That's my goal in life is to help as many people, you know, find the love and ease and grace of a vegan lifestyle, and especially nutritionally speaking, of course, uh, from my perspective. But I, I guess that I want, pe- I want people, when people come to me, I'm, oh, I'm such a, like a open book when people come to me for help or for clients or for how to build. People ask me all the time how to build a business. And I think of it as a wonderful thing because we just need more voices. And, you know, I feel like nobody is going to have the exact voice that I have and I'm not going to have the exact voice as anyone else. And we're all so unique and we all offer so much 
that I like to think of it as not competition, but I love that this movement is growing. I feel like this is what I was hoping for when I first started. I'm certainly not the first or only person, you know, that in this field, I have so many mentors that led me to where I am. I mean, I have here, like Brenda Davis, for instance, is my hero. And she's, you know, she's been doing this for a lot longer than I have. And every time I have a question or an article that is important, she reads it for me. And she she's the one that taught me that we need to have all these voices out there and to look at it as a wonderful, beautiful, supportive thing as opposed to a competitive thing. Because there's plenty of competition on, let's say, the diet book industry or the, you know, the just the dietitian <laughs> industry. And I feel like there's just, there's, there's, only so much one person could do and I want I want everyone to be vegan and the more vegan dietitians there are and the more people speaking about this information I think it's the better we've got what almost nine we're we're gearing up for nine billion people on this planet so a lot of a lot of people need to be reached and not everyone's going to hear it from my voice and people are going to resonate with all sorts of different messages and, and ways of communicating other than myself. I love that you take that approach. I think that's that's really fantastic. It's more a sense of because my next question was around, you know, a lot of marketing people say don't think of competitors, but as collaborators. Um, and I think you're obviously a great example of of doing that. So thank you very much for sharing that. Now, in regards to the word vegan in your marketing materials and on your website and the prominence of it, there's two schools of thought. One, vegans are still a scary word or two, it's it's good, you know, clever and niche marketing. Now, you've chosen to use plant-based dietitian. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to use um, plant-based as opposed to vegan or how much you use the word vegan or not on your on your website, on your marketing materials? Oh, Katrina, I'm so happy you asked this question because, <laughs> wow, it is so loaded, this idea, not your question, but I'm glad you're bringing this up because it has been also quite an evolution for me. And when I first started, I was very careful and I chose plant-based diet. Well, I don't remember exactly why that first popped up, but I knew that I was teaching plant-based nutrition and this is so many years ago now. I think, I think this was close to 10 years ago that I called myself that. I branded myself as that. But, but, but yes, now I literally changed my Facebook profile um, picture to have vegan on my t-shirt. Like I've now, I, I was very uncomfortable for a long time saying vegan because I feared that it would take away from my credibility and people would see me as a biased or um, there's a word that I'm it's not escaping me right now, but that they would think my information, my data or anything I was teaching was, was biased. And I realized that everyone's got some bias and not only that, but everything I teach, everything I teach has complete is, is in complete alignment with all of the nutrition standards, Institute of medicine guidelines. I follow everything to a T and I, so one part of this equation is the fact that I thought, you know what? It's okay. I, I Yes, I want everyone to be vegan. I, I say that proudly now without the fear because the data supports it. And, it, you know, a whole food plant-based diet is really becoming very, very substantiated in the uh, scientific literature that it is ideal health-wise. But on the other side of that is I stopped being afraid of, of t 
talking about the fact that, yes, it's the best diet for our health. It's also the best diet for our planet. And it's also the only way you can be compassionate to animals to not eat them. And I stopped hiding behind that. And I'm proud of it now. But it's been quite an evolution. And when I speak to physicians, and I do, I, I do grand rounds, I do talks to dietitians and doctors and med students. And I, I don't use the word vegan very often, but I do talk about some of those benefits, like in terms of antibiotics. And But I do speak from a very medical place. So I guess I, it depends on my audience, but I'm not afraid to be called vegan and to call myself vegan and to use that word like I was even, I want to say, two, three years ago. It's, it's changed a lot in the last few years as it's grown such – it's just it's become so well understood and heard and much more commonplace. Absolutely. It's really good that you've shared that. And uh, some others have said that a similar thing as well, particularly if they've been in business a long time. And it, it is, a you know, a, like you say, a sign of the times and it's becoming more more popular in usage. So it's great to, to hear that. I love people's answers to that. I get such different answers to that question. So it's, uh, it's really great. It's um, now, I think it's an important question. I'm glad you're asking. <laughs> now, you mentioned the TV show. What other current marketing strategies do you use, Juliana, that you find most effective? Well, I don't think I actually go out and market, to tell you the truth. I think I'm not focused on that. I don't have a background in marketing. I don't really know what I would call marketing because my perspective is more like, how can I share this message? So I guess social media would be my number one place right now. And, you know, and I play with that too. Like I, my favorite is Facebook. I spend the most time on my Facebook posts. But um, I know I would, I should work more on YouTube and spend more time developing my videos because I love doing, I love doing video stuff. But marketing is just something that is like a foreign, scary concept to me. Like I get intimidated by the word and the concept of it. So basically, I just, I don't know. I try to go out there. I try to, uh, you know, be in the places that are right for me and teach how where I'm supposed to be and and have my voice on social media and you know I have my nutrition column in Veg News magazine and but I don't have an actual strategy per se I would I would have to honestly say no that's all right it sounds like you've done it very organically what what you're saying you know just being there and sharing your message and being authentic um, and being in those different places so it sounds like you've done that organically which is pretty cool oh, <laughs> now, I like, that's a great way to say it thank you <laughs> Now, you mentioned earlier you're the author of three books, The Vegetarian Diet, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Gluten-Free Vegan Cooking, which you co-authored. So having a book is obviously a great way to position yourself as an expert, as well as you know raise the profile of your brand and what you do. So with the latest two books, the most recent two books, how did those come about? Did you go to the publisher? Did they come to you or did you self-publish? Well, no, I've never self-published. My first book was The Complete Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, and it literally it was one of those beautiful things where the universe, everything aligns, and that's kind of, I feel like my whole career unfolded so far, is that just everything aligned, and here an agent reached out to me and said, would you like to write this book, if you would like to write this book? And it was actually the, funny, you, after your last question, they asked me, they were looking for an author for The Complete Idiot's Guide to Vegan Nutrition. So I had to, you know, I had to write table contest, and I had to basically, I guess it's kind of like an interview to get the book, to get the book deal. And I did. And I started writing it, Vegan Nutrition. And then a few weeks in, this is when there was a lot happening around the term plant-based nutrition. And it was when it was just a lot was happening. That term was becoming more popularized. And I, at this point, did not want to use the word vegan because this book had nothing to do with the lifestyle, nothing to do with the ethics behind it. It was strictly nutrition. And when I think of it from a nutrition perspective, it really is a plant-based diet 
And because of the whole ethical connotation that is not, that is in, induced when you hear the word vegan. So I petitioned to have the title of the book changed after I'd already read, I think I'd already written like a couple, two or three chapters and all the table contents and everything. And I proposed why, and I showed all the stuff that was happening in the media. I think that's when uh, Sanjay Gupta had put that. I think that's when Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn was on CNN. And there's a lot happening around that word. And because of that momentum, we changed, they, they enabled me to change the title of the book. So that was pretty amazing. And the other book, The Gluten-Free Vegan Cooking Idiot's Guide, also came from the same publisher and same um, agent. And then I co-authored that with Beverly Lynn Bennett. But then my last book, my most recent book, The Vegetarian Diet, I had a new agent, and I wrote the proposal for it, and we submitted it to publishers, and that's how that evolved. Fantastic. I'm glad you corrected my pronunciation of the Mediterranean. Oh, it's so hard to diet. say, Mediterranean. <laughs> it's, it took me so many months to practice. <laughs> it's a great title, though. I love it. It's, I love the way the words um, work together. That's fantastic. So what benefits would you say you've seen today uh, having, being a published author, Juliana? Oh, I think like you said, it does establish you as an author. I mean, my first book is really what, you know, it came out. And I think because of the momentum that that concept was having, that's when Dr. Oz called and the Steve Harvey show called. And, you know, I got a lot of really exciting opportunities when I wrote that book. And I mean, it was, that was very exciting because I didn't expect any of that whatsoever. But yeah, I mean, it also launched the ability it just it's, it does it establishes you as an expert and that enables me also to speak you know to physicians and at hospitals and a real professional setting at universities and it's been it's been really incredible it's it's really incredible and writing a book is just pretty much the hardest thing you could ever do I, I in my opinion it feels like <laughs> to me it's harder than having a baby it's not harder than raising a baby but it's it's, it's quite a, an amazing feat to to finish a book and Wow, it's 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 crazy, and I all my I have a lot of author friends, and we always joke about how when you're in the midst of it, you never want to write another book. But it, it's amazing, just like having a baby. A few months later, you're like, oh, I got to write the next book. Right now, I'm itching, like I'm I'm pregnant with a couple ideas for what my next book will be. But it just it's such a ginormous investment, but it's it's pretty exciting. Fantastic. Now you mentioned some very high profile media that you've been featured on. Now did you mentioned they come to, did they come directly to you or did you like chase after media or hire a PR? Katrina, I the less I I was literally cooking dinner one day and a producer from Dr. Oz called my cell phone. Don't even know how she got my <laughs> cell phone number. It just they literally find you. It's incredible. And then Later on in the middle of this, when I was releasing the vegetarian diet and I, you know, I had an agent for a little while. We were trying to get those media calls and I even hired a publicist for a couple months. But um, it's it's so you can't chase it down. It has to come to you. I've, I, from my experience, it feels like it really does need to come to you. At least that's that's what happened for me. It was it was I did not expect it at all. And then when I was wanting more of it, it's, you know, it's harder to find. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? You obviously you've raised your profile to such an extent that uh, you know you've become the authority in your field. So I think that's that's always a good way. It's what I always teach people: when you become that expert, then the media come to you, and you you don't have to to chase them. So um, for people who are they perhaps employed at the moment, but they want to launch their own business, are there any tips that you have, or what advice would you give them before making the jump from employed to self-employed? I feel like I can't answer that question in a really good way because I've never done that. I, all, from what I hear, I could tell you what I've heard is that you should 
start the business first. But I honestly, I'm probably not a good person to answer that question because I don't have that personal experience doing that. And I, you know, I have constantly just kind of had my own. I think I've really mostly had my own business. I've I've dabbled in working for other people. I, like I said, I worked at a hospital. I worked for a startups. I've done a couple things here and there as an employee, but I've really been self-employed for the majority of my career. And I, I don't know what it's like to go in the other direction. Oh, good. No, no, that's all right. So you're obviously entrepreneurial right from the start. I love that. <laughs> I guess. So just final questions uh, before we wrap up. So just around kind of mindset and um, like, so what quality, interesting, because you've always been pretty much, you know, running your own business. So what qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful business? Ooh, I love that question too. Oh, first of all, you get us. I'm still working on strengthening my resolve—not my resolve, but my sensitivity—and just you know, getting past the fear of asking for things, putting yourself, just putting yourself out there. I mean, even just social media—it's—it's it's brutal out there. It's so brutal. I mean, I <laughs> I put my heart and soul into. I did a TEDx talk a few years ago. I think 2012 or 2013. I don't remember, but I did a passionate. This is when I came out as vegan and I didn't say plant-based. It was like a vegan, like my ethical, everything came out and I poured it all out on the stage and it was, I worked so hard on that talk and I memorized it and it was like, it was literally like me opening up my heart to the world and pouring it out all over. And then I just, people butchered me on the comments, which my advice is never read the comments because when I go down that spiral, it's a slippery soap slope and it hurts so bad because I felt so vulnerable there and I was vulnerable there. And so, and people were saying, oh, so dramatic and all that stuff but it really was just my true self but anyway so so my point is just to be very um I don't know you just have to have a really good strong support system and work on yourself because it's really vulnerable to put yourself out there and I know just with starting a business it's vulnerable but being out there in terms of media and you know that's that's where you just like you have more people looking at you and then you have more comments everyone's got something to say about you and so I would say strengthening your own self you know i do i've been doing a lot of spiritual work lately that's been helping with all of that um but i would also say you know if you have to love what you're doing like i love what i see i love plant-based nutrition but i love seeing someone that comes back to me and you know where i've actually made a difference in their life like that just oh that's like the best feeling in the world when, when you can inspire someone to make a change and i feel like you know, that's worth everything. That's worth all the rejection, 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 and the, the mean comments and the, all that stuff and the, the no's. Because uh, you get a lot of no's for every yes. And I feel like you just have to keep on persisting. And only you could only do that if you love, love, love what you do. So if you love, love it, then nothing could stop you anyway. And, and you just do what and I'm learning to do this, too. Just do what you love to do and only what you love to do and, and stay true to who you are. I've had so many opportunities to do something that was outside of what I believed in, you know, to sell a supplement company or to sell this and all, just stuff that just doesn't feel right to me. And I was pushing myself, maybe, maybe. And I've now come to the point where I'm only going to stay a hundred percent true. And I've, I've been very careful about that and being very true to who I am and what I really believe in. And that to me has, you know, I feel like I can have integrity with what I do. And that's a priority for me in terms of the longevity of staying in this, in this field. 
That's wonderful. I really appreciate you sharing that. And because sometimes, you know, when people look at someone like yourself with, you know, massive social media following, you've been out there all on the TV show, and we kind of maybe think, oh, well, they've got it all made, you know, and they don't get scared and they don't get all this vulnerability. So it's really lovely that you've, you've shared that. Um, and I get it. You know, I've written lots of op-eds around animal rights stuff, and I get called, called all sorts of names and stuff. And, it, it, you know, you do have to develop, you're right, that kind of sense of resilience to uh, to keep on the path and, and doing what you're doing. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So final question what's your long-term vision for yourself and your brand or any new projects you'd like to share oh long term I just want to keep doing what I'm doing I would love to do more tv it's just it is my favorite way of reaching people it's it's such a great medium uh and you know more books long term just keep you know I just want this message to get bigger and bigger and it is I just I'm so happy with what's happening and I just want to keep you know keep my toes in it because it's really been life-changing for me and I, I absolutely I'm excited for the animals I have hope for the environment when I hear of all these all these all this momentum you know perpetuating forward so I just want to be a part of it and I just want to to see what comes next I really I don't know there's all these different possibilities and uh, I'm 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 exploring and I'm excited to see where it all ends up Fantastic. Giuliani, you've shared some wonderful insights. I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Katrina. I appreciate it. So that was Juliana Haver, the plant-based dietitian. You can find out more at plantbaseddietitian.com. And you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our Vegan Business News Roundup. After the recent success of its Veggie Pret pop-up store in London, Soho, UK food chain Pret-a-Manger is considering opening more meat-free eateries, reports The Sun. You may remember in a previous episode of Vegan Business Talk, I reported that the eight top-selling products at Veggie Pret were all vegan. In a blog post, Pret-a-Manger chief executive Clive Schley wrote, The shop is packed and this is the first time I've seen customers in London sitting on the floor to eat their lunch. The energy of the shop is also quite remarkable. This shows that vegan dishes can be just as delicious as veggie dishes or we have underestimated how strong the vegan movement is. He goes on to say that the chain is leaving the Soho store open longer than the original four weeks to see if demand remains high after the initial hype and that some people in the company are wanting to convert every fourth pret outlet into a veggie pret. Fantastic. Let's hope the store stays popular and that we see more veggie prets. I'll keep you posted on future developments. Vegetarian and vegan restaurants in Hong Kong are part of a health revolution sweeping the city, reports the South China Morning Post. Restaurateurs are getting rid of additives and preservatives and going back to basics, creating simpler whole foods. Peggy Chan, founder and chef at Grassroots Pantry, says her dishes are inspired by different cultures and experimenting with food that recreates the textures and flavours that meat eaters enjoy. Several new vegetarian and vegan eateries have opened in Central, Soho and Xiongwan in the past few years, including Mana by Bobsy Gaia, whose slogan is Slow Food Fast, which makes healthier options more accessible to busy people, Bakery and Café Fresca, and the latest Home Eat to Live by CGM, which offers burgers made with beetroot, mushrooms and oats.
So this is really good to hear and it ties in with plans by the Chinese government to reduce its citizens' meat consumption by 50%. Hollywood celebrities Arnold Schwarzenegger and director James Cameron have taken part in public service announcements encouraging Chinese people to cut back on meat to help the environment. There's some exciting new developments happening in textiles. You may recall a while back I reported on Pinatex, a leather made from pineapples. Now there's also a vegan leather made from mushrooms. Moose skin is 100% biodegradable, extracted from mushroom caps and tanned using chemical-free methods, reports Ecouter. How cool is that? (laughs) Now, another development in leather is leather that's made in a lab. Brooklyn startup Modern Meadow has just secured another $40 million in its next round of funding to further its technology of biofabrication, which, according to the company, involves the production of collagen protein and other essential building blocks found in animal skin without involving animals. Now, it's billed as animal-free leather, although I think that's going to be something that's a a bit debatable because it seems that the living cells are required to be taken from an animal and then grown in the lab. The company claims its product also reduces waste by up to 80% compared to traditional leather. Unlike animal hide, it can be produced according to the size and shape required, thereby minimising waste. Biofabricated material also involves reduced tanning and lower inputs of land, water, energy and chemicals. So this is an interesting one. It's a bit like cultured meat that will no doubt instigate conversations about whether these kinds of products are vegan and whether or not we should celebrate them. On the one hand, I think, yes, we should, because if it means animals not being killed, then obviously that's a good thing. On the other hand, it kind of doesn't shift consciousness around animal use. But basically, I'm glad to see new technology that vastly reduces animal suffering. But I also like the sound of pineapple and mushroom leather. (laughs) New York entrepreneur Ravi De Rossi continues to make good on his commitment to turn all his bars and eateries vegan. The bourgeois pig on McDougal Street recently closed its doors after 12 years in business, reports NY Eater. De Rossi is stripping the venue of its velvet, red and gold furniture and replacing it with a white and emerald decor for new venue Ladybird. Now, I think it's a shame he's getting rid of the red, velvet and gold because I love those colours. <laughs> but Ladybird is certainly a much better name. It's due to open later this summer and will be totally different to the Bourgeois Pig, which used thousands of pounds of cheese each week. De Rossi told NY Eater he was pleased to no longer be supporting the dairy industry, which destroys people's health and the environment. Ladybird's menu will include a couple of fondue dishes, though, but with vegan cheese. Awesome. (laughs) New Yorkers, you seriously have it good. My list of places to visit just keeps on growing and at this rate, I'll have to spend months there and do nothing but eat to be able to try them all. Just Green is about to open its second vegan grocery store in Caramar in Western Sydney, Australia. It's set to have the largest range of vegan food, organic drinks, health supplements and vegan snacks, with bulk buy options available. 
The company's first store is located in Cabramatta, also in Western Sydney. And what's interesting about Cabramatta is that 15 years ago it was considered a no-go area full of drugs and crime. Now it's a popular destination for visitors and has around 10 vegan restaurants. So this is a brilliant example of how vegan living and businesses can be successful not just in the city metro areas, but also in the suburbs. And that's important because, you know, sometimes vegan food and dining can be seen as expensive and only for middle class hipsters in major cities. And this just goes to show that that's not the case. You can check out Just Green's Facebook page for the opening date of its Caramar store, which will include a free vegan sausage sizzle. Finally, I invite you to check out the latest article on the Vegan Business Media blog. It's called Five Reasons Not to Crowdsource Your Vegan Logo. Robin Ridley of Parfait Studio describes the risks and ethical issues involved in taking part in design competitions or hiring freelancers on sites such as Fiverr to create a logo for your vegan business. It's an interesting read and you can check it out at veganbusinessmedia.com. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 